Hello, John Elder here, science editor with The New Daily. Welcome to The COVID Conversation, episode 10. Who would have thought we'd live so long? Today, my guest is Dr. Dan Woodman, the T.R. Ashworth Associate Professor of Sociology at the University of Melbourne. Dan's research includes the impressive Life Patterns Project with Professors Joanna Wynne and Leslie Andrews, a longitudinal study following about 1,500 Australians from the end of secondary school into middle age. The study began nearly 30 years ago with a group of Gen Xers who are now in the shadow of their fabulous 50s. A second study began with a group of millennials, also known as Gen Y. The oldest of these are in their mid-30s and are on the brink of middle age. Good Lord, Dan, how the hell are you? And is listening to this making you feel ancient? It is making me feel old, John. Great to be chatting with you again. That's something that always makes me feel a little bit younger. I think everybody's a bit younger than I am. I'm, I'm, I'm the Philip Adams of uh, low-level podcasting. Dan, about six years ago, you and your colleagues published a life patterns research paper, Generational Insights into New Labor Market Landscapes for Youth. It threw light on not only Gen Y's struggle to attain stable employment, but on attributes the generation needed to get by. Now, for a generation often derided as coddled and narcissistic and entitled, they've certainly copped it in terms of the world they've been born into, and not just in the West. 9-11 and its aftermath shadowed their childhood, and now the pandemic is shaping their prime time when they're hoping to have things together. Many are having children of their own, and others are moving back with mum and dad, and perhaps some of those are taking their babies with them. There's a lot going on. Now we're hearing talk of a generation COVID. Is this a relabeling of the millennials? Is it the less scrutinized youngsters nipping at their heels? Is it all of us simmering in one big societal pot? Getting in early with a generational label can be your, your, your uh, ticket to fame and fortune. It, it, it's almost like a generational industry. And, and I've seen a few people talk about Generation COVID and it, it's been used to refer to everyone from this group we call the millennials to their younger cousins, the Gen Zers, but also even to the, to the younger kids who are, who are maybe developing their first memories that will, they'll take with them for their life course in the middle of this pandemic. But one of the things that is important to note about claims, uh, you know, that everything's going to be different from this point in for, for this generation or all of us is that, that, you know, the future is uncertain and it really is right now. And when, when I read people saying that this is going to make this generation's life in this or that way or that everything's going to be different from now on. The way I read it is uh, it's usually a political claim. It's like things should or have to be different from now on. And, and the way generations unfold isn't that straightforward. So what tends to happen is that we're, we're shaped by our life course, but who we are as people, you know, whether we're men or women, whether we're rich or poor, as is kind of salient right now, what our ethnic background is or how we're racialized. All those things will shape what happens to, to the millennials or, or their Gen Z cousins, cousins in the next few years. Like, like one of the things that's really struck me is that theories of generations tend to say that young adulthood is a, is a really core time for your life, that, that that's going to shape your future. But we're still talking about 
the millennials as, as young adults now that now that they're almost the, the oldest ones are almost forty. So it's uh, it, it's uh, it's almost like this this uncertain young adulthood that that generation faced has never ever ended for them. It's astonishing, isn't it? Because you know we talked about this six years ago about the challenges facing that generation, uh, and uh, I, I actually sort of dug up something that uh, I was looking, you know, that I was writing at that time and the fact that the, as I put it then, the slightly creepy fact is that gen Generation Y, the, the millennials, were probably the most overanalyzed and criticized generation like ever. Well, I'm not sure that's entirely true, but it did seem that way. Roughly speaking, it was the generation birth between 1984 and 2004. Uh, kids said to be suckled on a diet of immoderate praise, the mind-fouling internet and digital technology, prosperity thinking, and an absence of accountability. The heaviest school of thoughts is they, they, they had, in fact, as I said, turned into narcissistic, lazy, disloyal, and needy adults. Most of that nastiest research data supporting this view came from the US. In recent years, the New York po prosecuted the case that Gen Y was the, the worst generation ever. And on and on it went. But then in 2000, two historians and generational theorists, Neil Howe and William Strauss, went the other way. They published a book called Millennials Rising, in which they argued somewhat mystically that Gen Y would be the next hero generation. A year after the Millennials Rising was published came September 11, and so it's, it seemed to be recast as prophecy. The New York Times over the weekend read a piece sort of saying, oh, here's the generation. They were born into 9-11, and now they're dealing with a pandemic. And they interviewed a bunch of these young people who kind of just sounded like kids talking about, well, yeah, I've, you know, I've had to graduate high school and, uh, or I'm graduating from college and I can't have the kind of party that I wanted. <laughs> or, or it's a bit sad because I, I have to finish college without you know, hanging out with my mates, all of which is fair enough. I mean, we're all, we're all doing with that. But in a way, we've had this in intense analysis of these people who, as you say, they're now middle-aged. What have we actually learned from them? Well, one thing I will say is that the, the, the talk of the avocado toast has died down and I don't think it's just because all the cafes are closed. There, 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 was, there was this sense that this generation copped it more than any, any other in, in the extent to which they were analysed but also the, the negative labels that were applied to them. But, but to, to some degree that, that's been flipped not just by this idea that they're a hero generation but that... The, the baby boomers have, have started to cop it now. So I think this is partly a life course thing. You know, the, there's, there's still a few jobs left for journalists and, and you were joking mm. about how you're the Philip Adams of podcasts. And, <laughs> low, level, low level, low yeah. level Philip Adams. I know what there I, are Jesus. a few more young folk coming through now. So they're the ones who are writing some of the articles. And, and when that started to happen, the, the idea that, that maybe the real selfish generation was the boomers started to to lock in and and either way it's a little bit unhelpful i think to to treat these generations like they're they're one person that's either good or bad i guess what we should be talking about is what's happening with the generations right now because one of the things that's happened is those uh younger people moving in possibly taking their children uh, moving in with their with their families, it was always a bit of a hallmark, wasn't it? Uh, people in their twenties staying home far too long, their their parents going crazy. Now they're in there, they're locked in there, and uh, this must have some pretty interesting consequences, Dan. Yeah, that, that's that's right, John. I, 
Well, this this theory that the the, the millennials were going to kind of face this concert, this crisis, but then lead us into a golden age really hasn't happened. They've had a series of rolling crises that have lasted till they, they've hit their you know almost forty. And the way as as a society that we've managed this is that parents and uh, older relatives have helped out a lot where they can. Not everyone's been able to. But really, instead of living through a crisis and then hitting a golden age, the millennials have relied on intergenerational relationships to survive a kind of continuing crisis of young adulthood where, where those opportunities to do, um, to do the things that, that still matter to people about building a career, buying a house, starting a family have just got harder and, and it's not that people need help because they're narcissistic and lazy. It's because you just need help to do those things these days. Yes, I mean we've we've talked about that the, the the kids who'll do those endless internships, you know, working for nothing, maintaining an astonishing optimism that I think they need to they need to get a medal for, that they've actually just kept plugging away a lot of those kids and 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 hoping. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes you hear stories of someone. Oh, well, I, I worked for. I don't know, a charitable organisation because I believed in it for two years. Finally, they gave me this job. Yeah. But <laughs> I didn't pay very much, but, oh, my God, I made it. It's um, it's pretty sad. I think the gig economy is also something that has just been a complete disaster for a lot of these people. Um, and and it's, it's been reframed in the, or framed in the idea of, oh, this has given them the opportunity to live the life that they want to live. They're not tied down to one thing. I, I do wonder, though, maybe deep down they, they wanted to be tied down to something that was meaningful and it just has kept eluding not all of them. I mean, a lot of, a lot of them are doing great, but there are still a lot who just are living with that feeling that they, they haven't been able to latch onto something and, and, and make something of their lives as they had hoped for. Yeah, so from our, our research with this cohort, they, they didn't necessarily want to, to follow the, the patterns of, of their parents who, who were, were getting married and having children, you know, relatively early uh, because th- there, was, there was structures that allowed that to happen. They, they didn't necessarily wanted to want all those things by 25. And, and this is speaking in generalities, but a lot of them wanted it by their late 20s and 30s. And, and it has uh, eluded more and more people. And, and the kind of insecurities we maybe associate with your, your early 20s did continue on through people's lives. So that's, that's why we have people, people looking to parents where they can and, and parents have often stepped up to help with housing, childcare, other things, even when, when, when people are, are well into their 30s and heading towards 40. So, so one of the problems with this generational framing is, well, look, on the one hand, it catches captures something about our lives, the world has changed, but it misses that one of the ways the world has changed in Australia is that intergenerational solidarities, particularly within the family, have, have kind of been ramped up in their importance. What do you think is going on now, though? I mean, there's this with these intergenerational relationships that are would have to be under a fair bit of pressure, um, especially when, you know, young adults now more than ever are living at home uh, with their parents. Uh, you know, are they making it work? What, what would be hard for them? Uh, I guess there's a bit of speculation there, but I guess there's a bit of gossip <laughs> that actually uh, is, where we, is where we, is what we rely on. I guess at, at this point, that's what you're relying on, even as yeah, an academic. Yeah, so, so, 
it, some people have got surveys and 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 things out at amazing speed to start getting some data, but but a lot of this is is drawing on what we know from before the the health crisis hit. And what we do know is that the young adults were living at home in greater numbers, and 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 that includes people who left for a little while and and then went back either either to save for a deposit or with their tail between their legs or something like that but what what anecdotally what i know from my own students and and young adults in my life is that people have have moved home during this this pandemic and one thing that's been different is that in our research we've found that one of the reasons that these intergenerational households can can work. So when you have baby boomers and their their twenty and even thirty something kids at home, is that you, you still have a little bit of space in your own life. So compared to to forty or fifty years ago, you can live at home as a young adult and still get treated as an adult. Again, it's a generality, but you know, back in the old days, so to speak, of the mid twentieth century and even the seventies, very few people could bring an uh, intimate partner home to stay the night all those kind of things, that stopped. But the other thing that's happened is that we can't live our own lives. So so a lot of young adults work and and do other things to a different temporal or time kind of schedule rhythm to what their parents did. So so you didn't have to see your mum and dad all the time. You could pass like ships in the night for a little while if you were working hospitality and those kind of things. But now everybody's stuck in each other's faces, you know, for better or worse. Some people are probably loving that. But for a lot of other people, it's it's putting new strains on the relationship. I like to look at the positive things. I mean, when your kids are still in their early 20s, you know, they can still be a pain in the neck. God <laughs> love them. Um, as they get more towards 30 and especially if they've worked and if they've lived out of home and they've had to try and do a whole range of things just to get by like as, as, as life goes, um, I tend to find, you know, your kids become a, a little bit more considerate. They they become a little bit more uh, on on your level. They they understand. Look, you know, life takes a bit of work. So I, I'd be hoping that uh, in some of those cases, or a lot of those cases, you'd have older people, say maybe in their thirties, moving home, and they would bring with them actually some of the acquired wisdom that will in fact then help that household get by uh, in in a in a more harmonious way. But, uh, I mean, often in this situation, parents, their adult kids, they'll be on different schedules, which is one thing, and that might, might, might be helpful. But, yeah, this lockdown and social, social isolation has meant them bumping up against each other more. And uh, it's, it's interesting to think how that's actually going to be affecting their relationship in the longer run. Yeah, I, I think it, it's difficult to tell, and for some people it will, will – Go in different ways. So, so for some of us, the, our, our relationships with our family are what makes life meaningful and, and possible. We help each other out in lots of ways. In others, the relationship is is much more tense. And I, I guess, like a lot of other inequalities, uh, but but maybe also some of the good things about our society, both are being kind of made more visible to us or sharpened. So, so, so for people. Who, who get a lot from their relationships with their family, they're probably more aware than ever of, of the value of those things. You know, I, I know I've, I've got relatively young children and, and I've, I've had help from the, their, their, my children's grandparents in all kinds of ways that I haven't been able to, to get for the last few months. And I'll tell you what, I'm, uh, I'm more aware than ever of how much I appreciate that. 
and and it may be that we come out with a, a new sense of appreciation for those things but but also maybe I, I like what you were saying about how how people might might be moving home with different experiences and different things they add to a to a household there's there's an idea that floats around in 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 the academic literature about this stuff of of a kind of generational intelligence so getting away from really simplistic generational typologies or expecting a, a whole group of people to be lazy or narcissistic or heroes or 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 you know the other way around where the baby boomers cop it for being selfish it's about recognizing that lots of things shape our attitudes in our life and it's not just when we were born but that is one of the things that, that has shaped our life so so if you can um if you can kind of keep that in the back of your mind when you, you're dealing with older or, or younger people in in your home or at work or wherever it is it, it can uh, it, it can make you a better person i think but let's look at these young people and ask this question, you know, how are they going to be affected by the pandemic and, and the accompanying recession? It's for a, for a, for a generation that um, hasn't had job security, this just seems a, another pretty serious blow. Yes. I, I, I think for the millennials, it's, it's kind of in some ways just another <laughs> in a series of, of, of rolling crises for a generation that was argued to, you know, have never had it so good in some ways. Um, but that's, that's interesting, isn't yeah. it? That's interesting because, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it does make me think that, that there have been these whole rolling crises and it then makes you sort of think, well, it kind of in a way seasons yeah. them to deal with them as well. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. I, I think the so-called millennials were uh, more resilient than they've been made out to be, absolutely. But there has also been a price to pay. So they, they, they do, as a cohort, have high levels of anxiety that, you know, are blamed on things like so- social media, and, and that probably plays some role. But just a, a continual uncertainty for a lot of them for, for a decade or two it has these dual effects. I think that they're used to it, but there is still suffering. And one of the group, in some ways, the group I worry about is the people who are a little bit younger than what we call the millennials now. They're in in those kind of labels, they're called the Gen Zers because they're they're finishing school and and further education now. And one of the things we know from the past is that if you finish your education in a recession, it has effects that can last, you know, a, a decade, sometimes even longer on where you are in your career, what you're, what you're earning 10 or 20 years later. We don't know how, how bad this recession is going to be, but it, it could be, could be a, a, a big one. So, so they're going to, that, that group is going to, going to face some tough times. But as you say, it might also be a chance for, for us to, to think again about what our workplaces look like, how we work, what we do. But, but you know, the more cynical, less hopeful part of me says that, that some people are going to use it as an opportunity to double down on the kind of shifts that have led to the gig economy and, and people having 10, 15 years of rolling six-month, one-year contracts. Yeah, that's, look, that's probably the case. There's the positive side that will be there'll be a greater push to, for people to work from home, which everyone now knows is, is a little bit more challenging than or if they have children they definitely know it's a lot more challenging than they perhaps anticipated but there are also some really great advantages of it for both the employees and employers but look the Grattan Institute 
what was it, five years ago? I remember writing about, I think I probably talked to you about this at the same time. They were saying that this generation, whatever that means now, would be the first to end up worse off than the preceding. We've had, I think, for a, the better part of 100 years, haven't we, uh, a, a, a slowly creeping ahead of each generation on top of the other, and then we hit the 60s or 70s and uh, with, with the great acquiring of homes and so on and so forth, um, we've had this kind of rolling prosperity. Then it was predicted uh, uh, just a few years ago by Grattan and others that, well, actually, that's going to that's gonna end yeah. anyway. And what's happening now does sort of certainly make that true. In, in a very tangible right now yeah. sense. So, so you know, we have these rolling – recessions have been part of life for a little while and in some ways we were world-renowned for not having a technical recession for a long time. Uh, but, but, you know, in some ways for young people it looks like we did along the way and that's, that's going to get even harder. So, so that, that idea that each generation will maybe hopefully, I would say, have it a little bit better than the last – is almost part of the social contract that holds things together, you know, our pension system, our taxation system. And it is, it is very hard to say because if you look at just overall consumption, even though growth hasn't been stellar, you know, the RBA tells us this and, and other things, it's still we still have a, a, an economy that grows. And if you're talking about the entire life course, it's still likely, and we don't know how bad this recession is going to be, it is still likely that over the long run, the millennials and, and probably even the Gen Zs, unless we actively decide to change our economy to consume less, are going to have a, a lifetime consumption that's higher than their parents. What I think is the real issue and, and can get lost in that discussion about who's going to have the, the biggest savings or money overall is that what we've taken away is not so much that, that kind of money side of things, but the stability that allowed people to feel like their life was going somewhere and improving over time. So what the millennials have lost more than, you know, the opportunity to, 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 to spend as, as they get older is they've lost the, the ability to wake up every morning saying, I, I can see how, how things are getting better <laughs> over time. I'd, I'd be hoping that there'd be some opportunity there, though, for people to think, well, what, what is life really about? I, I think back to books like Revolutionary Road, you know, where you've got this young couple, um, I think it was from the 50s, wasn't it, or early 60s, yeah. and, and, you know, they, they get a house in the suburb. It's a, nice, it's a nice area. They're all nice people. They're all getting together and having, having uh, you know, their regular cocktails, the, the John Cheever said in a way. And, and then the, the disquiet that comes in is the fact that, the wife, I think, doesn't feel that you know they're really alive, yeah. and that he is actually living up to the things that he talked about. That they'd they'd lived this life that was that was that was vigorous and, and interesting yeah. and exciting, <laughs> and, and 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 instead, what they've got is this kind of you know brick veneer coffin or something. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm not really into bashing <laughs> up the suburbs. I think it's I think it's a dumb thing to do, and it's an easy thing to do. Yeah. But it, but what it does what it does when you think about that that book that looked at, at a time when people were becoming very secure, there was this other disquiet that said, in. now we turn it around, well, they, they, you know, the housing issue is a very big, big problem, but uh, maybe there's opportunity for people to find value outside of that. And it's very easy for me to say, but maybe, yeah. there's, maybe there's something in it. 
Yeah, so so that book was a you know in some ways about a a midlife crisis and and wanting to go out and meet interesting people and you know maybe even have affairs and all those other things that the pandemic has shut down for a little while for people <laughs> unless it's via Zoom. But one thing I would say about my participants is. They don't necessarily, in, in our study, want to live exactly the same life as their parents, but a lot of them would love the opportunity to have a midlife crisis where they look back on the stability of their life and they're you know, being stuck with the, with the mortgage on the home and, and the other things and, and say, I want something more because at the moment they, they want that stability as a starting point to, to maybe rethink how they live from a position of, of stability, not a position of crisis. But, but you are right. I guess these, these moments and one of the things a different generation can do is, is start to, to ask what are the different ways we, we might live our life. And one of the things our, our participants have had to do is think, if I do want that life where I get married, buy a house, maybe have a family, how am I going to do it? Because it might not be possible to do it how my parents did. And, and, and that goes back to that point we were making in that the, the ones who have done it, much more so than in the past, actually are relying on these intergenerational supports to do it. I've got to ask you about, your, about those participants, some that you've been following for a very long time. You know, what were their expectations when you first started talking to them when they first left school? And I guess, how do they regard those expectations now? They've, you know, I mean, yeah. it's a question we can all ask ourselves. We're all 18 at one point and we all had yeah. ideas. And then, and then we all wake up thinking, oh, my God, what happened? Yeah. In some ways that's about getting older. But there, there has also been a, a kind of generational effect and it, it's related to the way we talk about generations, I think. So when we first started to talk to our millennial cohort, they were more optimistic than the Gen Xs had been at the same age before them. You know, they, they, they thought they could do it and would have opportunities. Why uh, was that, do you think? I think, I think partly th that's what they were told, <laughs> you know, by, by teachers like be optimistic, be entrepreneurial, the, the, the world's out there. And even though they faced the, GIA, the global financial crisis not long after they finished high school, they didn't have that recession that the, the Gen X group we followed had when, when they were a similar age. So, so they, they were quite positive. And in some ways they bought into the idea that maybe as a cohort, them and some, or, or more so their friends, they often didn't think it was about them, but were too optimistic or expected too much. Whereas now they they have a sense of um, things being tough, but also a new narrative that they are reading from young journalists on, on blog posts and other places about how this generation has been done over. Well, one thing I, I, I always wondered, and this is this is going back 20 years, this is going back to when we had Australian Idol and and we used to watch the auditions for Australian Idol. Do you remember that? And you'd, you'd ha and yeah. they would purposely get these people who would say, "Well, I, you know, I just I believe in myself. This is my dream." And they would get and they would sing, and basically they were put up for for basically comic horror because they'd start singing, and you'd think, "Oh my God!" You know, they <laughs> they, they can't hold a note yeah. at all, and <laughs> and they'd be they'd be told this. They'd be say, "Look, you, look, you can't sing." Thanks for coming in. And they'd be going, but no, no, I'm going to make it. I'm going to believe it. And it seemed ridiculous. It seemed impossible even. But 
at the same time, I, I then started thinking, God, there, there probably is a lot of kids out there thinking like this. What are they letting themselves in for? It's, it's you know, you need some grip of reality so you, so you don't, you don't fall, fall on your fates over and over and over again, over 40 years or something. Yeah. They, 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 they obviously were picking contestants to play particular roles and presented in such a way. But, but you know, the, the, but there was that thing about, you know, believe in your own dream. Yeah. And, I mean, there was a whole self-help industry yeah. based on that. Yeah. And, yeah. and and surely that propped up a lot of people. And then 20 years later, it's like, well, Jesus, it didn't turn like that. Yeah. It didn't turn out like that at all. I am not master of my destiny. I think that's, that's – um, so, so that narrative is there and it hasn't disappeared completely, but it's a little bit easier, I guess, I think, for people to call – BS on that at the moment because that says that we're not and maybe for younger cohorts it hasn't been nearly as easy as they were led to believe when they were younger is is more apparent to everyone and and that's that's one of the things we are noticing with with our participants. Look we make a lot of jokes about the slanging matches between generations some of it catches me by surprise I th- last week, or maybe it was the week before, one, one loses track, I wrote a piece about wanting to take a, a feather duster to the knees of people at supermarkets because I didn't feel that they were uh, following sh- social distancing. I just, I just thought supermarkets are a death trap at the moment. And, and <laughs> I was just basically turning into a ranting old man, which was great. <laughs> anyway, I wrote this piece, and then the feedback I got from a new editor, or vo- the editor I work with, she she gave me the feedback about another editor who said it was a great piece of boomer humour, and I just thought, <laughs> yeah, well, I won't tell you what I thought. <laughs> but then I, then later I thought this thing, you know, yeah, boomer, okay, boomer, boomer humour, this whole thing, does it represents a genuine little bit of a, a bit of a chip on the shoulder? And because you know, look, we had it all, the the, the, the boomers, we apparently we had it all, and for that generation has been struggled. Does it represent a, a, a bit of a serious um, bit of a serious resentment? Yeah. So I, I think it, it, it plays into what I was talking about now where the tables have turned a little bit. And and as as millennials are getting older and some of them you know, they a lot of them are working in journalism and some also have more positions of power. The tables have turned a little bit, and I'm I'm not quite at the point where I'm I'm feeling too sorry for your average boomer. But we do probably have to be careful that as that boomer generation does get older and doesn't hold the reins of power in nearly the same way, that it doesn't turn out to be just as bad as it was when the the millennials were getting called um, snowflakes who waste all their money on overseas trips and and uh, avocado toast. So, so I think in some ways it can be a bit of fun doing this generational stuff, particularly if you have quizzes about whose music was the best ever of all time. But when it, when it turns into a, a kind of a, a stereotyping that verges on ageism or victim blaming, we have to be a bit careful with that kind of language. It's probably too late though. I mean, the, the millennials have, have been called every name un, under the sun and, and they've had it for years. So, I'm, I'm, I am quite sympathetic, and I'm enough of a grown up to to deal with it. But it has caught me a little bit, bit by surprise. I would say one thing that has changed about this kind of 
battle of the age groups at work or in a particular field of, of art or whatever is that what counts as young and old has shifted and, and partly this has gone with generations. So, yeah. so the, old, the old person in the office is, is now 65, not 45, and the young person who's still getting called a young person uh, like, so we use the label millennials now to, to mean young people when, when uh, some of them are almost 40. So, so some of the typologies of, of millennials go to 1980. And so those people are turning 40 this year. So, so those, those kind of battle of the ages has, uh, has uh, shifted who, who counts as young and old quite a bit over the years. On that note, look, I've got to say thanks, thanks a lot. Maybe a year's time will be worth having another, another discussion uh, yeah. if this little podcast lasts so long. Dan, always good. love talking to you. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, it was great fun. Thanks, John. Okay, next week I have no clue. Well, I sort of have a clue, but I'm just waiting to hear back on a call. Isn't that life? We're all waiting on a phone call. But you know what? It'll be great. It'll be number 11. In the meantime, please look after yourselves. Perhaps don't watch too much of the news coming out of America because it's just depressing. Uh, Keep your distance, keep your sanity, and I'll talk to you next week. Ciao.